Hello, lovers. In tonight's segment of drugs, how to have a good time and not die, we're going to talk about cocaine. Coke, blow, yay, snow, nose candy, powder, the list goes on. It is a stimulant. That's an upper. You snort cocaine. It comes in a powder form. And it wakes you the fuck up. You are amped. You feel a thousand times more confident than you did before. And you talk. You talk so much. Coke is a great party drug. I will say that I have used Coke and had a good time. Like most things, there is a right way in a right environment. For me, if I'm spending time with someone I already enjoy having conversations with, sober, without help, I've had some good nights staying up having cocktails and shooting the shit with a friend. If you're going out dancing, it's a nice way to keep the fuel for the night going. Coke, if snorted throughout the night, will keep you pretend sober as you continue to drink. I say pretend sober because while you're walking and talking fine after seven beers and five shots, you're not actually sober. You still had five shots and seven drinks, even though your buddy cocaine has you speaking in full sentences and walking the line just fine, you're still drunk. Be aware. This is how you get DUIs. So, if you like drinking and chatting with people and you're going for longevity of the evening, you'll probably enjoy it. Coke is extremely dangerous, however. It is a stimulant. If you take too much, you will overdose and die. It's also extremely dangerous due to, you guessed it, impurity. Just like other drugs, like Molly, dickweed dealers trying to make a buck are mixing other random shit in there. Not too long ago, some kids OD'd on their cocaine that ended up having fentanyl in it. As I've said before, and I'll say again, test your drugs. Test your drugs. Coke is actually physically addicting, and it's a short high. To stay high, you have to keep doing lines. And the come down is pretty immediate. And it can make you very irritable, very aggressive, and angry. Heard of the term coke fiend? Yeah, that guy. Coke also somehow brings out the shady side of an, of an individual. Like, why are we stealing shit from your cousin's house, bro? Coke turns everyone into the let's talk about me show to the point where a room will be full of people talking to themselves because no one is listening to each other. A Coke party is an introvert's nightmare. It's just people talking at each other. That said, I don't think Coke is worth it. Coke is like that popular girl that isn't that pretty or particularly special and she's kind of a dick but for some fucking reason everyone still rallies behind her it's the most shareable party drug 
as in you can usually guarantee its presence alongside alcohol at gatherings. And people on coke always want people to do coke with them. If a stranger asks me if I do drugs, I assume they're going to offer me coke next. There are certain environments where it'll just be there. Hotels, clubs, the green room, limos, yachts, strip clubs. But do not be mistaken, while it is enjoyed, shared, whoever paid for it is gonna be pissed if they don't get their share. It can get real expensive if you're snorting anything worth snorting, and you will hear about it. The never-ending mystery of who snorted all the cocaine. This is how you will come to need more cocaine at 2 a.m. Then you have to deal with coke dealers. In whatever shady la-la land coke dealers live in, they have their own concept of time. If they say 30 minutes, it's an hour and a half. If they say they have to make multiple stops, you're waiting all night. Make sure you think of how much you intend to share for the whole evening when you hit your guy the first time. Coke dealers also can get real creepy and real rapey with women. Which is ironic because if a dude does coke, he usually can't get his dick hard. So if you're kicking it with a dude and he's been doing cocaine that night, I wouldn't get your hopes up sis because he certainly ain't getting his up. Another thing to keep in mind when doing cocaine, tomorrow has no future. The coke hangover is real. You probably drank a ton too. So imagine an alcohol hangover and up its intensity to feeling like death in a trash can on a muggy summer day. Your poor nose is plugged, you can't breathe, and you can barely will yourself to leave the bed. You feel that awful. Now, the quality of your coke can determine the severity of your hangover. But even with good coke, on top of alcohol, it will lead to a rough recovery. If you're going to party with coke, plan for a full day to recover. Your brain is mush, your body is mush, you will feel like mush. Coke can be a lot of fun. If you find yourself in a hotel room and there's a stripper, I mean... Might as well do a line off her ass. When in Rome, right? But me personally, coke more often than not ends up turning into a cockfight. A bunch of dudes fighting to talk over each other about whatever they think is more important. Which usually ends up being something stupid they think will impress the nearest girl. Cocaine is popular enough. It will provide itself when it's needed. But it doesn't make my grocery list. Things to take away. Cocaine plus downers equals death. Stay away from your speedballs, kids. Cocaine tricks you into thinking you're sober, so step away from the car. Your friend will disappear with your baggie and come back with an empty baggie, so ration it out. Plan a full day of recovery. Don't use a dollar bill. That's nasty. And always test your drugs. Other than that, Happy skiing, folks. Hello, evening lovers. 
All right. So, uh, this is a new se- <laughs> this is a new segment on uh, Talk Electric with Electric Fairy. Um, in case you're just tuning in for the first time. So this segment is uh, called uh, Let's Talk San Francisco. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and start off with a, I, uh, a little backstory when I came to San Francisco. And uh, <coughs> I came to San Francisco in 2007. And I transferred to San Francisco State from Santa Barbara City College. Before that, I was from San Diego. So I was a SoCal girl coming to the lovely city of San Francisco, and in 2007, it was still expensive rent, um, you know, California, but it wasn't outrageous, uh, as it, we saw it got to be at some point, um, but at that time, there was still a really big art scene in the city, and, um, music venues, and there was just this life, and this weird spirit of the city, of creatives, and the history we have here, and um, and then the tech boom happened in 2011-ish, and that was the last year I was here before I was like, I'm out of here, I can't afford rent anymore. It was the mass migration in 2011. Um, my whole crew of extended friends and the network, everyone went to Austin, Portland, and back to SoCal. Uh, <laughs> everyone just left suddenly, so there wasn't really a reason to stay techies moved in and uh, they came from all over the place and they were definitely a different crowd that the artists didn't care for Uh, and they jacked up the rent all over the city and then they just took over and the city got kind of lame not gonna lie Uh, so after going back to SoCal and giving it you know eight years I decided I'm out of here man I want to go back to San Francisco even though it's stupid and (laughs) or well stupider but it's got to be better than L.A. and San Diego, at least for me. And um, I came back to, like, try and keep the art scene alive. Well, I came back this last December in 2019 and, you know, and was working on it. And, uh, you know, and then the pandemic hit. And then uh, now the protests. It's wild times right now. And uh, as a result of... Uh, everyone staying home many of the tech giants have allowed their employees to just um, work remotely now so there's no reason for them to be in the city anymore so as a result we are currently seeing an exodus of crazy proportions Uh, everyone's leaving the city and um, it's crazy it's definitely a different world now in the San Francisco. So when I lived here before, um, in 2007, I immediately realized, um, I hate chasing buses. I'm always chasing the fucking buses. And I was like, I can't do this, man. This is driving me crazy. And at first I was like, I'll get a skateboard until I remembered I don't know how to skate and I'm not trying to get hurt. Um, and then I picked up my scooter just as good. Um, then I got wheels, then I can go downhill, it's a hilly city, so that cuts out a lot of time. Um, and then, getting around on the scooter, I, I obviously, I, I stayed on the sidewalk for the most part. The pandemic, like, everyone's staying home and there being no nightlife, and, like, the city is significantly emptier than it was before. And the rent is dropping like crazy. 
Um, some places like have seen rent reduced by 20%, which is still expensive. It's not cheap, but a lot of venues, unfortunately, have um, have closed many restaurants, and it's um, it's getting wild. And we don't really know when we're gonna open back up again, and when is it actually gonna be safe to like fill the Fillmore again? <laughs> like, I don't know when I'm gonna feel comfortable going to a show at the Fillmore again or a venue that size like crammed in with people and sweating on each other um like I I don't know if I can do that until the pandemic is for real gone like gone gone or there's a vaccine that works immediately (laughs) um and I'm not sad about the way the city is changing um when I left San Francisco in 2011, I um, jokingly was like, man, I kind of wish for something like massive historically to change the city to happen, like cataclysmic, you know, that like we just completely restart and the roots of our creative city and the artists can come back. And it kind of like, like it wasn't hoping for a pandemic, but it appears as if that has been what that's what's happening like the city is emptied the rent is dropping and the creatives are still here um unfortunately as we've discovered there's a lot of racists in this city now uh, we've seen many karens all over this city fucking Mm-mm. so obviously we're still fighting that battle as a rich city with racist people but the heart of the city has always been the city of insane weirdos um and the artists and it's just you know and it hopefully like I feel like San Francisco is gonna come out of the ashes like it's gonna be like a phoenix and when we come out of the ashes like like we lost a lot of venues and we lost a lot of restaurants but like everyone that's still in the city that believes in the heart of the city like we're gonna open back up and we don't know when it's gonna be but when it happens I think like there are those of us that came back or have been staying in the city for this reason trying to keep its spirit alive and I think we'll be able to pull out of it and I think when we come out of this we're gonna return to our roots I read an article in the SF Gate, quite well written, and I'm pretty much just reiterating it, but it's, it's San Francisco about to return to its bohemian roots, and um, it talks about, this guy talks about his wild nights when he came in 07, and getting drunk at bars, and all the shows you went to, and you could like split a studio with your bandmates, and like 75 bucks a piece, and you know that magic was there like that was still there at that time and you know it talks about the hope of like getting getting the artists back in here and be like hey guys let's come back this is still our city this is still a still a city we believe in and um yeah it's a it's a magical place um and I really, not gonna lie, I kind of want to bring some people back here that were here before that left. Be like, hey, rent's dropping, you should come back. <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully the music will come back and hopefully the, everyone 
we'll come back and regroup and be like, hey, let's let's turn this city back into the cool place we we always knew it and remembered it to be. And we want it to be, and that's the spirit of this city. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully we don't get another massive earthquake. <laughs> um that would be wild, man. Oh, that would be nuts. It would for real be Apocalypse 2020. Knock on wood. It's not going to happen. All right. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get there. Um, if anyone wants to talk San Francisco, let me know. I love. I would love to have people come on and chat with me on my uh, podcast. Like-minded or opposing that think they can rationally have a real debate open to some of that but um yeah hit me up also if there's anyone out there in San Francisco that knows the geology and the uh meteorology (laughs) quite well in San Francisco I'm also fascinated with the city because of the weather uh San Francisco has seven different microclimates in the city and anyone who's lived by the ocean versus in the mission knows this vastly we're sunny over here i'm never leaving um although the fog is nice on the water not gonna lie i live by baker beach over there it was quite nice and the foghorn's nice to listen to but yeah we'll see anyone know about that hit me up i would love to chat with you and i have questions i have so many questions i want to know the seven different microclimates i can name like four off the top of my head but i want to know all of them but anyhow, um, that's my short little uh, update on the empty city that is so empty that I ride my scooter in the street now with traffic because I obviously don't want to be near humans on the sidewalk now. Um, and I go faster than cars most of the time, or just as fast, at least in the mission. It's wild, man. Wild times. But I'm, I'm kind of loving it. I'm kind of liking it a lot. And I kind of like way less people in the city, too. It's been quite nice. I'm not going to lie. Anyhow, anyone want to talk art with me, too? I'm definitely going to talk about art. This is my podcast, so I can talk about whatever I want. Anyhow, San Francisco. Let's talk San Francisco. Uh, episode one. See you around, y'all. Good night. Greetings, everybody. This is Talk Electric. I am Electric Fairy. This new segment is called Movies That Piss Me Off. So, I've always been a movies gal. Um, TV just takes a, uh, a lot of commitment, but I'm just just really not good at commitment as a whole. Um, but movies, I've always just been a classic like lover of film. Like, tell me a story. And... Um, I don't normally, like, find that much time, you know, normal times to keep up on movies all the time. But since we've been in the pandemic, I've been watching a fuck ton of movies now. And, uh, which has inspired me to do this review, Movies That Piss Me Off. Um, so, we're, uh, we're gonna start with this, uh, this gem. Uh, Mothers and Daughters. So... This movie has a female 
all-star cast. Obviously, it's mothers and daughters, and it came out in 2016. And we've got, who do we got in this film? We've got Selma Blair, um, Mira Sorvino, Sharon Stone, Courtney Cox, Christina Ricci. Um, and those are the ones I know off the top of my head. Uh, did I say Susan Sarandon? Whatever. Susan Sarandon. Anyhow, um, this movie is bullshit. Can I just say? I'm not a mother, but I am a daughter. So I definitely come from half of this spectrum. And life experience has definitely um, pushed me. This movie just rubbed me the wrong way. So um, this movie starts... All of these women are in different, like, relationships, uh, mothers and daughter sets. Um, a couple of them are intertwined. And, um, honestly, though, like, there's way too many couples, like, to develop their stories. So, as a result, like, the movie as a whole, I just feel like they force sympathy onto you in situations. I'm like, no, no, these people don't deserve sympathy. But anyhow, let's start off with Selma Blair, um movie starts with Selma Blair. She's this, uh, photographer. Her name's Rigby. That's super fucking cool. Uh, as the name goes, I had a dog named Rigby. Rigby's the name of the character in a regular show, The Raccoon. If you haven't seen that cartoon, it's, uh, fantastic. But anyhow, uh, so she's a photographer and she mostly shoots bands and, um, so she gets knocked up and like, (laughs) she, goes to the doctor and he was like you need an OBGYN because you're pregnant and she's like what and then she goes to the OBGYN and then she's like goes in like I'm gonna have an abortion and the doctor is like well do you really want to think about this and he's handsome of course and she's like no no yeah I thought about this and you know like I'm aware and (laughs) like I'm a photographer I have a lifestyle that doesn't work (laughs) Like, this is what I want to do. And, like, it's just annoying because it's it's still, like, the pressure from the man. Like, you should keep the baby. And it's like, no, she her whole fucking life would have to change, dude. That's, like, she's thought about this. It's fine. Like, but no, it's not fine. <laughs> um, her, as their plot line progresses, she, there's a interaction with her and this doctor again. And, like, she ends up having to defend herself again. (laughs) And she's like, I can't take care of a human. Like, she says that out loud. She says that to him. She was like, I pay someone to bathe my mother because I can't take care of her right now in a nursing home. Like, (laughs) so, like, she knows that. She has never cared for a dependent before. She knows that she has a lifestyle that doesn't involve a dependent. She knows because she wasn't able to, like, bring herself to do it for her mother. So, why should she expect to, like, like, do that for her child? And I'm just irritated because she ends up deciding to keep the fucking baby because that's the fucking theme still, which is my huge problem, uh, with movie stills, we need to get the fuck away from that, because from where I'm sitting, 
she knew that this was a poor choice. Like, okay, yeah, maybe having a baby and your love for your baby will turn it around. Or maybe realistically, you couldn't take care of your mom. And now you're going to have a baby because you feel guilty for not taking care of your mom. And that seems like a really terrible idea to go into. Now you're going to have a baby and your mom. Why do you think you can take on two dependents now? That's an even worse decision. And then, as if that plotline wasn't already annoying enough, the fucking OBGYN doctor is like, I love you, and fucking rides in like a goddamn white knight. And I'm just like, sick of that bullshit. And that fucking plotline pissed me the fuck off. And it started and ended with her, so whatever. Um, Alright, we're done with that couple. Moving on. The next little family set we've got with a mom and a fucking daughter is Christina Ricci and Courtney Cox. So I guess Courtney Cox got knocked up young and she had a controlling mother who basically somehow forced Courtney Cox and the dude that is the mother of Christina Ricci to just let everyone think that the mom is the mom of both of them. So they think they're sisters when really they're mother-daughter. And I think they say her dad is like an uncle too. Like everyone's fucking lying. And she, uh, Christina Ricci also has a little brother. So there's two fucking kids that have been lied to their whole goddamn life. And they only decide to tell the truth until after the mom dies. And then their fucking excuse when obviously the two kids are fucking furious is, oh, we were scared of your mom or my mom. And then... <laughs> And I'm like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever fucking heard in my whole life. And what's even more ridiculous than that is, like, Christina Ricci and the son are like, okay, we need time to process this. Like, like she even says, the entire world has dropped out from underneath me. And then, like, the fucking dad and Courtney Cox are like, no, no, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. She just shows up at Christina Ricci's house with her son and Christina Ricci there. And she's like, I want to talk about it. And she's like, no, I don't want to talk about it. And it's like, she's setting a boundary and Courtney Cox just fucking mother stomps all over it. She's like, no, fuck your boundary. We're going to make this work right now. And like, that shit pisses me off. I'm sorry. If you had a child and your mother insisted on you pretending to be sister and her taking care of it like and you lie about that your whole life because you were too much of a coward to like actually step up to your mom and take your child back I'm sorry but your child is allowed to take probably what they need which is a lot of time to process their anger at you and dad for lying to you their whole life so this bullshit story of Christina reaching the sun suddenly getting over it uh and pulling it together to be okay and just forgiving by the holidays I'm just like what no like Courtney Cox and that dude like fucked up they lied and like you can't force your kids to get over to you lying that epically to them that's not okay oh and then the two kids I guess the mom left them two million dollars so I guess they have money now, and I don't know why that was even important. I guess maybe reading their letters from their mom-grandma um, <laughs> convinced them to just, I guess, forgive Courtney Cox and dad for lying their whole lives. I mean, sure, whatever. As far as lies go from parents, 
like huge ones like that go, I'm sorry, but you don't just stay mad at them for a week and then you're like, it's okay, we'll come to Thanksgiving next week. Like, no, I'm sorry. A lie that big you need time to process, feel angry about before you can go through the waves of like empathy and forgiving someone. You, nobody for like, (laughs) that's unrealistic, that's stupid. And frankly, Courtney Cox and that dad need to feel fucking guilty way longer. Like, I'm sorry, you like, if that was my parent, I'd be like, no, you need to feel bad for a period of time. However long I need to be mad at you, that's how long you need to feel bad. That way, like, when I'm finally done being angry at you, I will finally, like, it is definitely punishing, but, like, there are instances where I'm like, no, you can't, you can't fuck up that big and not expect your child to be mad at you and, like, not want you to feel bad. Like, that's not cool. Whatever. Mother stepping over daughter's boundaries and arguments again. So don't really give a shit or care for that plot line either. All right, who's next? We've got... Oh, great. Susan Sarandon. And I guess her daughter is Ava Marie Martino. I don't know, she's new to me. So we'll just call her Ava, the daughter. So we open with Ava um, and her boyfriend. They live together. He's come home from shopping, and apparently he bought $200 worth of olive oil. And she, like, flips out because his baking thing isn't making money, and she's basically supporting them. And she's like, yo, we can't afford $250 worth of olive oil. Like, you're not understanding that, like, I'm taking care of the fucking finances, and we can't afford this. And, like, she has to yell at him because he's being a fucking child about it. And she's like, this is dumb. This is not what I signed up for. Um... And then, like, we don't actually get this freaking relationship developed that much because I think maybe there's a short second scene, but not really. We find out that she's Susan Sarandon's daughter, and Susan Sarandon wants to just pop back into the picture. I guess they've been estranged for two years. And, um, and first of all, Susan Sarandon is the same fucking mom she's in in every movie. She's, like, snide cynical and, like, just like I've seen this character she was a stepmom I was like forever ago dude like are there different types of mothers you can be like but so whatever she's the same fucking mom and she tries to like buy her way by offering the money for her daughter to like help her boyfriends or I don't know if they I don't think I don't know if they got married or not but her partners baking business take off and it's a large sum of money and while they're discussing it the daughter's like I know what you want to do you want to fucking come here financially that way you can get control back and then Susan Charles like no no I don't want to do that and I'm like yeah that's exactly what's fucking happening dude no you don't go from estranged from your mother and then take a fucking 32,000 something like that dollar loan and like come in and save the day she's like oh you're trying to bribe me or <laughs> buy me and it's like yeah yeah that's what she's fucking doing she's trying to buy her way back in I have had a parent try to buy their way back in many times okay let me tell you how after two years being estranged a l- taking a loan from a parent that has been a narcissist and not listen to you like also on their FaceTime fight like Susan Sarandon was like I can't cope with this right now 
<laughs> after she's the one forcing her to have this conversation. And it's, again, another mother that's just deciding, I'm done talking now, but I'm going to violate all your boundaries and your needs for however much time you need to process. <laughs> Not cool. But anyhow, despite the daughter, like, knowing what's happening, she still takes the money. Um, <laughs> and the last images are of them baking cupcakes so I guess that's supposed to allude to their business doing well and she's pregnant <laughs> what like one that was left field too also um you're taking a lot you just took out a fat loan from your mother and to try and make a business happen like financially adding a child to the mix is really fucking poor choice right now your whole life is in transition you just took your mom back you are recovering from like supporting your boyfriend and like continuing to further his dream that's a relationship that needs a lot of development and growth together and now we're gonna add a child and that just seems like you know a little a little risky but it's cool <laughs> no big deal okay all right and yeah so another ends on a pregnancy so we've got two babies at the movie as well fixing problems um okay so <laughs> got two more two more plot lines to discuss so the last mother-daughter one is a, a is a three female uh scenario it is Sharon Stone, Alexandria Daniels, and Mira Sorvino. So you meet Mira Sorvino first immediately. She's a bra designer. She's got a really, really great boyfriend. Um, and then you discover that uh, the boyfriend just asks her randomly one day, like, what's your stance on if you get pregnant? And Mira Sorvino freaks out because she just got an email uh, from, you know, the company that I guess, uh, she, uh, gave her adopted baby out to, and it was from the, the, the baby, the, the daughter that she wanted to know her medical history, right? It didn't, like, say anything about, like, them reconnecting. She was just like, I just want to know about my medical history, you know, I don't know anything about my dad, and, like, there's a lot of genetics there, like, and that makes sense, like, is anyone cancer at a young age? Like, those, those are important things to know. So Mira Savino, like, it's just like, you know, I wasn't able to take care of a kid, so I gave her up for adoption. And, um, and her boyfriend's, oh, he's great. First of all, he's handsome. I don't even remember what his name is, but he's handsome. And he's is like, and she was like scared to tell him because of her past. And he was like, your past doesn't matter. Like, that was before me. And I'm here and I love you now. And like, it's going to be fine. But he actually, uh, <laughs> he's a good male. I like that one. Um, so anyhow, her adopted daughter is Alexandria Daniels, right? And her mom is Sharon Stone. So like, we meet this daughter when she's FaceTiming with her college friend who's like getting high and she makes some snarky comment about, you know, weed's a carcinogen, carcinogen. I can't do it. It's fine. Later. Um, she just makes some snide comment about weed. And I'm like, okay, first of all, are we really still shitting on weed now? Like, okay. So she's judgy. And then the interaction she has with her mother, Sharon Stone, is like, 
it's just like two intellectuals like Sharon Stone won't shut up about all the fucking Ivy League schools and things that her daughter's done and she can't like just yelling at her telling her that she's making poor life decisions and (laughs) anyhow um they decide to reconnect and it's nice um Mira Servino writes her a nice letter that says like I wasn't able to and I'm really happy that you that your mother gave you the love that you need and so so the daughter speaks highly of her adopted mother she's not unhappy and she doesn't blame her for it and they both and they're like kind of working together and they live in the same building the mother biological mother and the daughter and there is a nice moment um at the end with the daughter and the adopted mother and she was like how crazy is it that she lives in my building and Sharon Stone makes a, a nice comment that um she thinks mothers are always like looking for their daughters even the ones that they uh, didn't keep all right and then there's one last plot line <laughs> as if the baby's fixing the problem wasn't already enough to make me fucking irritated with this movie Selma Blair in the beginning does a photo shoot of this rock star and then he's like eh come on tour with me but really he wants to fuck her so she goes on tour with him and then she's at a bar and this girl's hammered and she tells the bartender cut this girl off like give her some water she's too drunk and the girl wanders back to the rock star and then Selma Blair watches the rock star take the fucking passed out girl away and she follows him to his trailer and he's fucking trying to hook up with her <laughs> and she like good for her character like is like what are you doing he's like what are you doing but you know like a douchebag rapist does and she was like like are you kidding and she like picks up the girl and takes her out of there and then oh and then he feels bad and his plot ends with him calling his mom and crying i almost did something really bad and i'm like <laughs> i'm sorry I, this movie is killing me right now. So basically, we've got a baby, two babies to two different characters coming into situations. I'm sorry. No. They're in real life, in these real situations, if we're applying them to the real world, these are both situations in which unfair pressure, like, is going to be put on some of, like, I don't know what some of Blair's characters thinking, like, just, oh, I'm going to take on two dependents now. I'm going to care for my mom now and this baby. And I'm like, okay, that's, sure, you go ahead and do that. Baby does not fix that problem. Baby doesn't deserve to have that kind of weight put on it. And the other one, like, financial decisions, I mean, it's possible. There are marriages that are strong enough to where they can make all these financial decisions and parent at the same time. But also, not a guaranteed fix. (laughs) lot of strain and you've got a narcissistic grandmother to deal with that expects to just buy her way through problems awesome and then the rest of the mothers uh are clearly toxic and violate both of their daughters boundaries do not allow either of the daughters to take the time that they need to process feelings so that's cool um uh the one plot line though adoption worked out that like she made the right decision she was young gave it up for adoption that she got a good parent way better than she would have been and they reconnected letter and they didn't hate each other so that's good adoption works i approve of that message um but the rest of it's bullshit (laughs) 
It's bullshit fucking connections. And then we're supposed to sympathize with the rapist. We're supposed to, oh, he cried to his mom that he got caught <laughs> sexually assaulting a female. No, I'm sorry. I don't feel bad for him. <laughs> Maybe if he had said, I did a bad thing, not I almost did a bad thing. No, no, no. You did a bad thing. You carried an intoxicated drunk female from the club into your fucking tour van to fuck a drunk girl. Like, no, sorry. <laughs> Mothers and daughters, if you want examples of what not to do, <laughs> this is the movie for you. It does touch base on a lot of real relationships. I feel like a lot of people can identify uh, with these characters. Um, however, I watched this movie and I pretty much disagreed with the majority of the messages that the movie ends you with. Like, I don't, I don't approve. Uh, all I say is, if you want to learn how not to parent, watch this movie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's. That's my first episode of uh, <laughs> movies that piss me off. Stay tuned. Um, I have another movie that pisses me off. Also ends with fucking babies. <sighs> I'm sorry. Moral of the story is babies are not band-aids. Not band-aids. Okay. Anyhow. Have a good evening, everyone. I uh, hope you enjoyed my ranting. Um... A lot of things are going to be me ranting on this podcast, so hope I don't scare you off. Stay tuned.